Well, I have been researching recently the subject of spiritual formation. It is a capacious subject with all kinds of resources. As I read and reflect and then read and reflect a little bit more, my heart begins to beat fast because spiritual formation is at the forefront of what God wants for his followers. I mean, being formed into the image of his son is what God wants for us. He desires this for each and every one of us. And spiritual formation, it's one of the great whys of the church. It's why we exist for spiritual formation. But how do you describe it? What is spiritual formation? Well, Dallas Willard, a leading expert on the subject, wrote that spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation. And transformation is a key word for Dallas Willard. It is a process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being. It is being formed, really transformed, in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. That's how Willard describes spiritual formation. Authors David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons in describing good faith and being a Christian in a world that views Christianity as extreme and irrelevant said it this way. We believe that when people commit to a Jesus-shaped way of life, they create a counterculture for the common good, living their lives not for themselves, but for the benefit of others to the glory of God. So they have an emphasis on others. Willard talks about transformation and others speak of spiritual formation being for the sake of others to the glory of God, of course. I would say that my favorite definition of spiritual formation, something that just really resonates inside my soul, is something that Dr. Modica shared last week from author and scholar Robert Mulholland, who said, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. So think about this now. Spiritual formation, it is a process that often takes a lot of time. You can't rush this. Spiritual formation is a process of being formed or transformed. And I think you have to ask, well, transformed and formed into what? Well, formed into the image of Christ. And why does all of this occur? Well, it's for the sake of others. So that they can see the hope of Christ. And for the glory of God. Spiritual formation. A process of being formed or transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And think about this. It's a journey. It is a journey where God's love, grace, and forgiveness meets us at every step of the way. And it begins the moment that we trust in Jesus alone to rescue us. 
So congratulations. If you have trusted in Jesus alone to save you, whether that was recently or a long time ago, you are on a spiritual formation journey, which is great, right? I trusted Christ as an 11-year-old boy. And I remember that day specifically. I had fear in my life as a child that I didn't have this friendship with Christ that my mom and dad and my older sister spoke of in their life. And that began to bother me a little bit. And so I talked to them about that fear. And they looked at me and shared with me the hope of Jesus. And as an 11-year-old boy, they explained it in terms that made sense to me. Jesus came and lived and died for my sins. And he rose again, conquering death. He returned to heaven. And if I trust in him alone, if I put my faith in Jesus without adding anything to that, well, then I would have a forever friendship with God and would be assured of a home in heaven. That sounded glorious as an 11-year-old. And on that day, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and my spiritual formation process began. As I look back on my life, from being an 11-year-old boy who trusted in Christ to where I am today, just lots of spiritual formation And sometimes we don't always think about the ways that we have been shaped and formed. So I would encourage you at some point today, reflect and go back and think about your own spiritual formation journey and all of the people and the things and the teachings that have helped shape you into the image of Christ. That would be a great exercise. As I reflect on my own life, spiritual formation came In the form of the teachings of the church. When my parents trusted in Christ and my older sister, we started attending church for the first time as a family. And the teachings of that church grounded us. They helped us to understand the love of God and how we should give our lives in every way to him. The teachings of my parents and what they were learning and what they passed on to me also helped shape me. I then went off to college to train for being a pastor. And that was a great experience of being formed in spiritual ways and thinking about theology and ecclesiology, the church, and how God wants to work through the church to bring light and hope to society and to the world around us. After that, I started my career as a pastor and Every church where God placed me, I can look back and say that was a period of time where I was shaped in deep and profound ways as a follower of Jesus, as an apprentice, as a leader, as a husband and father and friend. All of these different seasons of life just spiritually shaping me along the way. People and specific people come to mind. When I think about being spiritually formed, people who got next to me as a young person, as a young pastor that mentored and encouraged me, books, more schooling, and certainly the word of God, 
all of this has been used by God in my journey to spiritually shape me. Again, I would encourage you to just reflect a little bit on your journey of trusting Christ and who and what has been used to spiritually shape you. And I have a way to go. I do, and you'd probably say the same about yourself. I think knowing that I'm not fully spiritually formed actually excites me. Like, what's going to happen next? And what is God going to do? And who and what will he use to spiritually form me into the image of his beloved son for the sake of others? Spiritual formation begins when we trust in Christ, and then it flows from the Jesus Creed which that's what we have been thinking about all summer long. The Jesus Creed, loving God and loving others. One day, an expert in the religious law came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Of all of the commandments that we follow to get close to God, what's the greatest? And Jesus responded and said, love the Lord your God with everything, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, just everything inside of you. Love God that way and then Love your neighbor as yourself, which is a pretty difficult thing to do. But Jesus said, these are the greatest commandments. Nothing is greater than loving God and loving others. So spiritual formation begins when we trust in Christ. That journey begins and then it flows from this creed of loving God and loving others. I want to share a big idea that will shape the rest of our conversation and then we'll come back to thinking about spiritual formation. Here's our big idea for today. Living the Jesus Creed means we will act justly following Christ's example. And I think this is just another step in our journey of being spiritually formed. Okay? Living the Jesus Creed means that we will act Justly, I don't think it's an option. Like I'll save that for somebody else or the people that are really good at that kind of thing. They can do that and I'll focus on other areas. I don't think that's the case when you walk through scripture and you look at the commands of Christ. No, living the Jesus creed means we will act justly following Christ's example. Now, something to consider. When we live out the Jesus creed of loving God with everything inside of us and loving others, here's what happens. We bump into injustice. And it begins to bother us. It bothers us because we're loving God with everything. (laughs) We're loving other people like ourselves. And all of a sudden, this injustice that we see in the world around us, maybe it's something that has impacted us or someone close to us, or we just see it and observe it because injustice is everywhere. We bump into this and it bothers us. Injustice. But what does this mean? You know, we throw out terms like be just or act justly or injustice. Is justice and the encouragement to act justly simply? Are we doing this to use a trendy concept to make people feel better as we virtue signal our way into a troubled world? It's interesting because justice is certainly a trending concept and a trending word. But justice is also a biblical word. 
which means it's an ancient word. So it's something that's trending, be just. But it's also a biblical word, which means it's been around for a really long time. We've even talked about acting justly as a church. And Sherry addressed that a few years ago. We chose Micah 6.8 as our church-wide life verse that talks about acting in a just way. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? (laughs) Which I think is a great question. Have you ever wondered, what does God want? What does he require of me? How should I live out the story of Jesus? Well, God does not hide that information from us at all. It's clear. Here's what you do. Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. It's right there. This is what God wants for those who apprentice with him. Act justly. But what does that mean? What does it mean? Often we think of justice as retribution. Especially in terms of a criminal receiving punishment. And we state it this way. Justice was served. Right? He or she got what they deserved based on the crime. So we often think about justice as retribution, but when you investigate the life of Jesus and when you walk through the pages of Scripture, you discover that justice has a much deeper meaning. And so we need to hold this intention and come to grips with what does justice mean? for apprentices of Jesus and those of us who are seeking to live out the Jesus creed. Scott McKnight states it this way, for Jesus, justice is about restoring people and society to the love of God and love of others. So that's Jesus. It's about restoring people, justice. But not just restoring people, it's also Restoring society and the culture around us. And these two things can work together. Which I believe matches the use of the word justice in Micah 6.8. When you dig into that chapter and that specific verse that talks about act justly. The Hebrew word there is the word mishpat. And mishpat has the idea of fairness or the equitable treatment of people. Mishpat in its various forms is used a little over 200 times throughout scripture. And it has this idea of being fair or the equitable treatment of people, especially those who are vulnerable people. So that's one way to describe it. Another way we see mishpat or justice being used in scripture and certainly in the life of Jesus is with sharing and with generosity. I think it is impossible to walk through the pages of scripture and not see that God places a high value on mishpat. Like just a shockingly high value on the equitable treatment of people and on sharing and being generous. So justice in scripture goes way beyond retribution. 
It's also talking about restoring people and restoring culture and society. And God displays all of this for us in such a way that here's what God does. Throughout scripture, you often see God identifying with those at the bottom. And there are times where God even introduces himself as the God of the poor, which would have been absolutely shocking in this particular culture. God, I am the God of the poor, the widow, the orphan, vulnerable groups, which you can describe as those without economic resources or political power. God's like, I'm with them. I'm with them. And the reason this would have been shocking in the time of Jesus is that other ancient cultures always assumed that the gods, small g, identified with those at the top. Those who had some things. So if you had economic resources or a political power, the gods must like you. And that's why you had those things. If you didn't have resources or power, then the gods didn't like you. And that's why you were pushed to the edges of culture. But God, the true God, the God of the Bible identified with those at the bottom. And he even introduced himself that way. I'm their God. I'm their God. And the Jesus Creed then calls us to live out the kind of life that Jesus lived, keeping this in mind, that God identifies with those at the bottom, and Jesus did the same thing. So let's do this. With our remaining time, let's walk through a few different passages in the life of Jesus, where we see justice on display, and Jesus himself identifying with those at the bottom and treating people equitably, being generous and seeking to restore people. I think this is a great thing to do because often when we consider the life of Jesus, we focus on his work on the cross, his saving work at Calvary. And that's really important to do. Or we think about Jesus and his teachings. What did he say? And then I need to use that in my life as well. Or the love of Jesus, just how he treated other people. And all of those are really important topics. And here at Valley Point, we give time to them. And we will continue to do that. But often we forget about the distinct bent that Jesus had towards justice. The equitable treatment of people. And sharing. And generosity. We take the word of God seriously here at Valley Point Church and we open our lives and our hearts to being shaped by it. So with your copy of the Bible or with your device, I want to encourage you to meet me in Matthew chapter 9. This is where we will begin. We're going to look at four different passages. There are many more, but we're going to look at just four, two in Matthew and then two in Luke, where we see Jesus acting in just ways. What's happening in Matthew chapter 9 is that Jesus is assimilating his team of followers. And he calls Matthew, Matthew, come and follow me, apprentice with me. I want you on my team. 
And Matthew agrees to do that. He leaves behind his life. But in the process of doing that, Matthew wants to throw a party where he can introduce his new friends or his friends that he had to his new friend in Jesus. Like, I've got a guy and I, I want you to meet him and he's incredible and you need to come. And so Matthew throws this party and he invites what Matthew 9 describes for us as disreputable sinners (laughs) to come and hang out with Jesus for a party. Meaning these were people who were really good at sinning. I mean, they had it down. They They had a reputation. So much so that the religious leaders, as they observed this and Matthew and the disreputable sinners coming to his house to hang out with Jesus, the religious leaders approached his disciples to say, why does Jesus eat with such scum? There's religious people for you. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. Why does your teacher hang out with those in the religious world at the bottom? Scum. Jesus looked at them and said, well, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And that's why I'm here. And then he goes on to say this in verse 13. Then Jesus added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And he quotes Hosea chapter 6 here. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Now I want to pause here because this is a stunning thing that Jesus addresses. He looks at these religious people and he states, you know what? It would be better for you to show mercy than worship. Sacrifices were a big deal to them. And that's how they made their relationship with God right. And Jesus said, you know, it'd be better if you didn't do that. But if you acted in mercy. Like, so stop worshiping. Because you're all screwed up over here on loving other people. Get that right. And then come back and worship. It will be more meaningful. Try that. By the way, if you want to read a remarkable and shocking and scandalous book in the Old Testament, Hosea is the book, and I would encourage you to do that at some point. Jesus quotes from it, so he lifts up the value of what happens in that particular Old Testament book. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And here's Jesus identifying with those in the religious world at the bottom. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. What we find here is that John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, is now imprisoned. And he's hearing things about Jesus and what he is saying and what he is doing. So John the Baptist sends some of his disciples, go talk to Jesus and find out if he's the one. This Messiah that... We have been waiting for throughout these years. See if he's the one. And so that's what they do. And we find in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus told them, John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. Tell him that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the, say it with me, 
poor. All of these are vulnerable groups, people without economic resources or political power. And Jesus is like, you go back and you, you let John know, encourage him that all of these things are happening. And the good news, the truth about Jesus and who I am and how I offer hope to the world, it's being preached to even the poor. I'm with them. I'm with them. Turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 4. What we find in chapter 4 is the temptation of Jesus where Satan attacks him and Jesus is able to overcome through the quoting of scripture and reliance on that. He steps away from that. He returns to his hometown and he goes into the synagogue and he unrolls a scroll that's given to him and he begins to read. The scroll that he would have been reading is Isaiah chapter 61. And he lifts some words out of that Old Testament passage. And here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Again, we see Jesus here Mishpat, the equitable treatment of vulnerable people and groups, and sharing and generosity. One more passage, Luke chapter 14. This was our scripture reading for today, and I'm not going to read all of it. I just want to review one passage that really would have stood out in this culture where Jesus is encouraging people, do the opposite of what everybody else is doing, because that's justice. Luke chapter 14, verse 12, then Jesus turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, which that represented people like you or people maybe even better than you or of higher status. Don't invite them for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, here's what I want you to do. Invite the poor. The crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Jesus' advice here would have seemed like economic and social suicide for those listening. Like, oh, oh my. Jesus, that's not the way we do it here. That's not going to work. We have to invite Those who can return the favor. That's just part of culture. That's part of how we function. That's what we do. People who are like us or maybe even of higher status. That's just how it works. And Jesus does a beautiful thing here. He flips the script quite dramatically. To say that's not how it works in my kingdom. And that's not justice. That's not caring for vulnerable groups, those without economic resources or political power. Instead, I want you to go out and invite the lame and the sick and the poor. Invite those who cannot repay you. And in doing that, you will be spiritually forming yourself in such a way that justice will flow from you. What we see from the life of Jesus is a new way to live that involves the equitable treatment of people and sharing and generosity. And it would have been shocking to this crowd. Like, wow, 
We have to do that. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And indeed, I think it's still a hard thing to do today for followers of Jesus, for apprentices, for us, for Valley Point Church to act in just ways. And we need to be challenged to be spiritually formed in such a way that we are living the way Jesus wants us to live. So how do we respond to this? I have three, my responses, and I would encourage you to take good notes and write these down because again, we're inviting our hearts to be formed and shaped so that we act justly. Number one, act justly and treat everyone as a person created in the image of God. Act justly and treat everyone as someone made in the image of God, including the people that are really difficult to love and including those individuals who don't care about God at all or maybe greatly opposed to him. God cares for those individuals. They are image bearers and maybe it's broken a bit and that's why we're called to act justly to treat everyone as someone created in the image of God. In the age of opinions, this is becoming increasingly hard to do. But yet I believe we're called to this. That we set aside opinions and likes and dislikes. And we act justly, understanding that everyone matters to God. And they are image bearers. And so because they matter to God, they should matter to me as well. And this is my opportunity to act justly and treat people equitably and be generous. Everyone, an image bearer. You know, I was reminded of this a few years ago when I had a friend here at Valley Point call me to say that one of her friends, which was a friend of mine as well, she thought he was in trouble in some way. And she had used him to complete some jobs around her home and He just hadn't replied to some text messages and she called and called and called and no response. And she knew he was walking through a very difficult season of life and was discouraged and battling some things and was just really worried that he hadn't responded. So she reached out to me to say, I don't know what's happening. What do you think? And I said, well, let me call and let's see if I can reach him. So I called and called and called and no answer. And then I became concerned for him, knowing some of his past challenges. It's always one of those things you don't want to overreact, you don't want to bother people, but there was just a stirring, I think, in her heart and in my heart that something might be a little off. So I reached back out to her to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go to his house. I'll knock on the door and let's see what's happening. Maybe he's just busy or lost his phone. I don't know. I'll just go. And as I began to think about going, I didn't want to go on my own based on what I may discover there and thought it would be wise to have someone with me. So I kind of just quickly prayed and said, God, who, who can I bother at this time of the evening that is free and will go with me to discover what we don't even know yet, but it, it could be a problem. It could be difficult. So God placed someone on my heart and I called them and said, here's the situation, someone you know as well. And I, they may be in trouble. They may be in trouble based on 
their life. And I feel I need to go to the home and just see what's happening. Will you go with me? And they said, absolutely, I'll go. So we traveled together and we got to the home and we were able to get inside, thankfully. And our friend was in a bad way. It's not clean, broken, bleeding, and really struggling. And I watched the person I invited, who has a soft heart and a love for God that is deep and a non-judgmental spirit, help our friend off the ground, clean him up a little bit, and begin to talk about, here's what we need to do. And here's how I will walk through the next few days with you so that you are whole and healthy and restored. And I was amazed at this individual who modeled for me and modeled for our mutual friend. This is what it looks like to care for someone made in the image of God who may not have it all together, but yet deeply matters to God. Deeply matters. And while I think... We do a decent job of this at Valley Point. And I know I could call a hundred different people and you would probably say, hey, I'll go and let's do this and let's pray about it and let's get there and do everything we can. I could contact all kinds of people to do that. I still think there's room for improvement for all of us as we think about image bearers and how all people deeply matter to God, even those opposed to him. Scholar Timothy Keller said the Bible teaches that the sacredness of God has in some ways been imparted to humanity so that every human life is sacred and every human being has dignity. When God put his image upon us, we became beings of infinite, inestimable value. And yes, we live in a broken world and we have to be careful and we have to be wise but I think it's probably good for all of us to risk a little bit more in acting justly and treating everyone as an individual created in the image of God. What would it look like if at least one community of faith, us, Valley Point, chose to act justly this way? Let's pursue it together. Number two, act justly and help right wrongs where you live, work, and play. And I think it probably looks like this. Push back evil. Show up and stand up for Jesus. Where you live, work, and play. Evil abounds. It's all over the place. We understand this. We know this. And it's not about judging it or even trying to fix it. It's about showing up and acting in Christ-like ways. So act justly. I think this is part of it. And help right wrongs where you live, work, and play. What's fascinating to me about when you study early Christianity is that they just showed up in their culture, in their cities. And they weren't there to judge and give opinions or even try to fix people and things. They just showed up. And they started loving people and Feeding and caring and in doing that, providing equitable treatment for all people and serving those without economic resources or political power, things began to change in their culture because they were acting in just ways. So show up in prayer against the evil one. 
Show up against division. Show up against racism. Show up against abuse. Show up for Jesus because God often asks us to do really hard things and serve as agents of his in his world. So act justly and right wrongs where you live, work, and play. Just show up and live like Jesus. Number three, act justly and be generous, especially toward the poor and vulnerable. I think in doing this, we're acting a lot like God and being spiritually formed in such a way that our lights will shine. So being spiritually formed, I think is amazing. It's incredible. And may God help us through his word and through looking at the example of Jesus. Follow him into acting in just ways, knowing that this will shape us on our journey and transform us into the image of Christ as we act justly. Back to the big idea. Living the Jesus creed means that we will act justly. It's really not an option for apprentices. So we have to dismiss that and say, okay, here we go. Living the Jesus creed means we will act justly following Christ's example. May God give us all the strength and the courage to do that.